We're starting today a three-week series, which I'll be doing all three weeks, and then uh, Pastor John will be coming back and starting a new series in the month of February uh, on the life of Elijah. Um, that We'll be sharing that. He'll do the first two weeks, and then I'll do two weeks, and we'll go back and forth in that series. But for the next three weeks, I'm going to do a series called Biblical Leadership. And uh, in this series, each, day, each morning I'll preach, and then I'll try to stop and give five to ten minutes at the end of the service for you to ask questions about what I preached on that morning. It's not an open forum to ask questions about other things. It's just about what I preached on that morning. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at a biblical foundation uh, for leadership. I'm going to give you six points of biblical foundations this morning. Next week we're going to talk about what is an elder, and uh, we're going to get into that next week. We'll get into it a little bit this morning, but next week we'll look at all the qualifications for an elder. And then the following week we'll look at the office of deacon, and what is that, and what are the qualifications for that, what are the difference between an elder and a deacon, and we'll look at those things and go right through um, some scriptures in Timothy and Titus. Today we'll be looking at a lot of scripture. Now I want to ask you this morning, I have in my hand a book that probably a lot of you have read. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozier. How many of you ever read this book? Okay, A few of us have. This is a great book. It really is. So if I was to hold this book up and this book up, which would you say, now this is a great, Tozier is a great theologian, which would you say we should always obey? The Bible. You agree with that? Okay, we'll try another one. One of my favorite authors today, and I think he is one of the present-day theologians, and I really enjoyed going through this book some time ago. It's called The Pleasures of God by John Piper. He's one of my favorite authors today, and I read a lot of his books. And, and he is a great theologian also. And uh, so if I was to say, which of these should we make sure that we obey, which would you say? Are you sure? John theologian, he's a Baptist pastor. Okay, try another one. If I was to say, if somebody was to say, what is the best book out there for raising children? I would have to go to this book because I think it is the best, one of the best books. I think it's one of the most biblical-based books on raising children. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. How many, I think we did a study, I think you did a study here on this book some time ago. How many of you have read this book? Okay, good. That's a few of you. you if you have children and you have never read this book, you should read this book. I wish this book would have been available when I was raising my kids. But it is a great book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And uh, very biblically based. But if I was to say which book should we obey, which would you say for sure? Are you sure? Ted is a great author. It's good. It's biblical. But you would still say the Bible. Okay. I have the Mount Calvary Constitution. <laughs> and I have the Bible. What should we obey? Is this a biblical? Mostly. I'm digging a hole here, aren't I? What should we obey? The Bible, right? Now, Godly men put this together. I really believe that. Some of those still might be here. Are, are those who are there some here who helped write this still here? Okay, Brother Beach. It's great. Appreciate it. 
But I'm going to share with some things why I believe this might not be totally biblical in these next three weeks. Now, nothing against Brother Beach, but I think he's probably going to agree with me in these next three weeks, and he's shaking his head. And uh, so I'm going to show you some things that, that I think maybe we'll need to think about changing in here. Now, we're never going to change this, are we? No, we're not. But we can change this. We'll never change this because this is from God. This is from man, right? We would agree on that. And so we're going to talk about that these next three weeks. Let's pray. And then we're going to look at these six biblical foundations today of church leadership. Father, we are so thankful to be able to sing praises to your name, to be able to gather together to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I thank you for Mount Calvary Church. I thank you for the history of this place. I thank you for the hundreds and hundreds of souls who have come to Jesus Christ through this ministry. I thank you for the many people who have been discipled and brought to a close relationship with Jesus Christ through this ministry. I thank you for men who have gone out from this ministry, Lord, and who are pastors and preaching today and missionaries around the world. Lord, there is such a rich heritage at Mount Calvary Church that we are so thankful for. God, I am thankful for men like Lee Beach, who sit here, sits here today, a very godly man, Lord, who helped write the Constitution, Lord, of this ministry. Lord, I pray today as we would search your scripture and look at the biblical foundations of leadership, that you would give us wisdom, that you would allow the Holy Spirit that indwells us, Lord, as Christians, to, Lord, help us to understand your word and what it says about church leadership. Father, I pray today that you might just give us the freedom to preach your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. It's always good to have men who God has sent out from this ministry, who've grown up in this ministry, uh, to visit with us. And we have one of those men visiting with us today. And um, it's good to have Pastor Steve DeGroft with us. And uh, I got to spend some time with him this week, and we found out that we were at Liberty the same time together. I came back this week and looked in my Liberty yearbook, and sure enough, I recognized who he was back when he was just a few years younger. But uh, we have appreciated the DeGroff family. They have meant a lot to this ministry, haven't they, through the years? And I know that many of you pray regularly. We need to continue to pray for Maxine. But Pastor, just as a point of reference for people, would, would you and Mrs. DeGroff just stand up so that we can recognize you this morning? And uh, we just want to welcome you and say thank you for being here. Give them a round of applause. Pastor went out of this ministry. He's pastoring up in New, the New England states right now. And uh, he's a very happy man this morning, I think, if he watches football. So. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a lot of different portions of Scripture. And uh, so I'm probably going to read those to you this morning. If I have you turning to all these, it'll... It'll slow us down a little bit this morning because we're going to give you lots of portions of Scripture. You'll see those in your notes, and I would encourage you maybe throughout this week to take your notes and go back and look those up yourself. But I'm going to give you these six points this morning about biblical 
church leadership. Six foundations of church leadership. These six foundational principles are very important for us to understand this morning. And uh, the first one simply would be this, that the head of the church is Jesus Christ. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. We sang about this morning the foundation of the church. Let me read these four, three portions of Scripture to you. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 says, Christ is the head of the church, His body and His self its Savior. Colossians 1.18 Christ is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And in Ephesians 4:15 and 16, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. So the church is like a body. It gets its leadership and its nourishment from its head. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. This church before me had eight other pastors. I'm the ninth, in a sense, senior or lead pastor. There's been many associate pastors. But right now, you have two pastors who are pastoring this church together as a team. But I want to tell you, we are not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of Mount Calvary Church. We are answerable to Jesus Christ. That's who we are answerable to. This church is not an organization it is a living organism. And that's the problem. When you begin to look at the church as an organization, you begin to treat the church like an organization or even a corporation, then we get our leadership all wrong. We are a living organism who the head of this living organism is Jesus Christ. It is Him who we look to. We have a divine head. It is a supernatural life. And everybody who comes to Jesus Christ, who supernaturally gets saved, who supernaturally comes to that point in their life and admits that they are a sinner and admits that Jesus Christ died on their cross for their sin and believes that He died and rose again for them and puts their faith and trust in Him, they become part of the church. Not just Mount Calvary Church, but the universal church, if you would. And Jesus Christ is the head of that church. He is our divine leader. We function together as a body. And in that body, as we look at our bodies today, each of us have a head. If there was a body up on this platform and it didn't have a head, that would be what? Scary. Okay? That would be scary. And it, Exactly. We have to realize that, listen, a body without a head is scary, and so the church without a head, without Jesus Christ at the head... And so that's why, listen, this is Jesus Christ's Word and how we run our church and how we run our leadership in our church. And whatever we do, we always need to come back to God's Word and make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. Why? Because He is the head of this living organism. He's the head of it. And so, number one, is we really need to realize this morning that Christ is our divine head and we need to be in touch with our head. Now, why does your, why do your fingers work? Because your head says so, right? If you didn't have a head, your fingers wouldn't work. But your brain tells your fingers what to do. 
Your brain tells your feet what to do. And so as a body, we always need to be looking to the head. Before we do anything, we always need to look to the head. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we try to stay in touch with Jesus Christ. And so as leadership and as members as the body of Christ and as members of Mount Calvary Church, the closer that we can be to the head, the better off we are. Why are we encouraging you as a church body to read through these portions of Scripture this year? Why are we reading through First, Second Timothy and Titus? It's not just because we're preaching about those portions these three weeks. It's so we can become more intimate with our head so that we can be closer to our head. Who's the head of the church? Don't say it's Dick Vaughn. Don't say it's John Whitmer. It is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And so the first biblical foundational point that we need to see today is simply this, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The second is this, that we, all of us, as members of the body of Christ, as members of the church, we are priests and ministers. We are priests and ministers. I want to tell you right off the bat this morning, the New Testament knows nothing of the priesthood of the clergy. Let me say that to you again. The New Testament knows nothing of the priesthood of the clergy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You can read the New Testament, you can read the Old Testament, you will find nowhere in the New Testament, excuse me, you will find nowhere where I am your mediator to Jesus, to Jesus Christ or God. You don't come to me to get your sins forgiven. Listen, I sin myself. I, I can't absolve you of your sin. And so we don't find that in the Word of God. And we need to make sure we understand. And I think we understand that as an as a evangelical church or in a sense, a, a if you would, a Baptist church is sort of what our, our beliefs are from. But every person in this church is a priest and a minister. Every one of us are. The word minister does not define my pastoral or Pastor John's pastoral office in the church. It defines my function, but it also defines your function also. And we need to realize that this morning. This really is talking about just not only my function, but it's talking about your function also. Ephesians 4.12 says, The pastor and teachers exist to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the work of ministry. That's what Pastor and John and I are supposed to do. That's what the other elders, if we had elders here in our church, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help equip, equip you for the work of ministry. And if you're doing the work of ministry, what does that make you? What? Ministers. It makes you ministers. Now that doesn't, well, I guess any of you could go out and on the internet, you could now buy and become a minister and get a reverend in front of your name if you wanted to. No, you can buy an ordination today on the internet if you wanted to. But that's not what we're talking about. I am talking about that God says that you are all ministers. You are to be about the work of the body of Christ. You are to be about the work of the body. Every one of us. And, and the problem is this, is we have taken 
And we have uplifted the place of a pastor where we think he's the only one who has to minister, but that's not the reality of it. You know what's so exciting about, about yesterday watching as we, as we run the upward ministry here, as we run the upward program and watching all those kids play basketball. But I'm watching our people and I'm watching people from other churches in the community who are helping us run this program. I'm watching them minister to these boys and girls. When I show up at practices and I'm watching them in their devotional time, they're all ministering to these boys and girls. That makes them what? Ministers. You know what's going on over? You know what Bruce and Teresa are? They're ministers to our children today. That's what they are. And all those kids, people who are working in our nursery today, they are ministers who are ministering in the ministry of Mount Calvary Church today. The other thing is the Bible says that we are priests. It says that we are priests. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, He loves you and has freed us from our sins by His blood and made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Several times in the Word of God, the Bible says that we are priests. That we have the right. In the Old Testament, remember, the priest represented Israel. And the priests were the only ones who could come into the Holy of Holies. They were the only one who could come before God. But in the New Testament, listen, every one of us who come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we all have the privilege to go into the presence of God. What a tremendous thought. It's just not for one sect of men like it was in the Old Testament. It now is for all of us. Through Jesus Christ and His blood, every person who comes to Jesus Christ has the right. We're part of the royal priesthood who has the right to come before God. That ought to excite us a little bit. We are ministers. We are priests. The Word of God says that's the title that He gives us when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's a third principle that I want to give you this morning that I think is important that we understand, and it's called the authority of the local congregation. The authority of the local congregation. Under Christ, the local congregation is the final authority of Christ. I don't mean that the congregation is above the Scripture because the Scriptures are the Word of Christ. We submit to Christ by submitting to His Word. Nor do I mean that the congregation is above the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. We submit to Christ by submitting to His Spirit that indwells us. What I mean is that under Christ, His Word and His Spirit, the congregation, it's not the pastors, it's not the elders, it's not the deacons or the bishops or the popes, and the body that settles matters of faith and life, it's the church. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. And I think this is important that we understand this this morning because it helps us to understand the position of the church. Here in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is dealing with the matter of church discipline. This is when it gives us the process of church discipline that is to be carried out. 
And, and look, it says there, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if someone sins against you or someone is sinning, you go to them. You don't, you don't tell people. You don't, you know, say in a prayer meeting, hey, listen, we need to pray for brother and so and so. He's in sin. No, that's not what you do. What do you do? The Bible says, number one, what's the first step? You go to them. You go to them. He says, so you go and you tell him between you and him alone. It says, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But what if he doesn't listen? Now we Several times in our church there in, in Magnolia, New Jersey, we went through this process. And uh, we, I would go and I would approach the person who was living in sin. One occasion, we had a woman, woman who had left her husband was living with another man, and I went and approached her, and I asked her to repent of her sin and turn from it. I went by myself, and I told her, this is what you need to do, and she would not do it. And so what is the next step then? It says you take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the next step in church discipline is what do you do? You take somebody, one or two people with you. They don't have to have witnessed that person sinning. The reason you take that person with you is there to witness the person's response. And the response of this woman the next time we went back was, listen, I don't care what you're saying, Pastor. I'm not going to go back to my husband. I don't care. I'm going to continue to live with this man. I don't care what you say. And so she said that in front of these other two witnesses who went with me. So what is the next step once you've done that? If he or she refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So what's the next step? Then we went and we told the church. We said, listen, Mrs. So-and-so is living in sin. She's living in adultery. We want to bring that to you. And church, she will not repent. Here are two witnesses who have seen it. And now, church, what you need to do is you need to write her letters. You need to call her. You need to plead with her to repent from her sin. That's the next step. Often we forget about the step of the church's job now is to approach her. Sometimes we forget about that step and we just go right to the discipline aspect, but this is the part where the church, where the people, every time they saw her out in public, they wrote letters, they went to her house. We tried to get her to turn from her sin. And I can tell you this, when we, when we skip this step of giving the church, then the mandate to approach that person, we miss a big thing. Because I'll never forget the day she called me and she picked up when I answered my phone. She said, Pastor Dick, this is so-and-so. Call off the dogs. That was her exact quote. She said, call off the dogs. I can't take it anymore. And this had gone on for two months and our people were very faithful at approaching her and talking to her and writing to her and sending her letters and letting her know how much they loved her and please turn from your sin and repent from your sin. And she did. And so we didn't have to take the next step. But on other times we've had to, we had to take the next step. Because look what the next step is. If he refuses even to the church. So if the church has approached that person and the church won't, and they won't do anything about it, what is the next step? Let him to be as you as a Gentile or tax collector. At that point, what do you do? You treat them as an unsaved person. You put them out of the church. So what? So you bring that back before the church and say, listen, this person wasn't willing to do it, so we are asking you now to put them out of the church, to take them out, to take that leaven out before it infects all of us. 
And that's what the church has the authority to do. So if the church as a body of Christ has the authority of church discipline and the final part of authority, the final part of casting them out, if that is for the church to do. And listen, if we go, we won't take the time, but if you go over to 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he gets on them because in 1 Corinthians they had thrown a woman out of the church and now they, she had repented and they weren't accepting her back. They weren't, they weren't saying, listen, we want you to come back. We want, we want to love you. They weren't doing that. So we see even in Corinthians where the church, what? The church was the final authority. And if the church is the final authority in this area of church discipline, then that means as a church body, we are the final authority. We are where things are supposed to come to. So to say to set up a, a form of government where the church never has a say, I don't think is biblical. So I think there has to be a part where, listen, the church is the authority of the, the authority of the local congregation has to be recognized. So when I talk to you about setting up a board of elders, I'm not talking about a men who are going to rule and reign over you and the church never has a say in anything. And that's important that we understand this foundation of church leadership. That the church does have a say. The next point here I want to bring to you this morning is this, is those called leaders in the church. God calls some member of the congregation to feed and lead the church as servants of Christ and His people. In other words, even though there is equality before God as children and heirs and priests and ministers, some, and not all, are called by God to serve as leaders. Let me give you some scripture to base that on. Hebrews 13:7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13:17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. 1 Thessalonians 5:12. We beseech you, we beg you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Acts 20, verse 28, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, Take heed to yourselves and all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. So, the congregation is under Christ by His Word, and the Spirit uses its authority to recognize and to affirm leaders whom God calls. Then the congregation puts those people in positions of leadership and voluntarily supports them by um, learning from them and following them. I think John Piper says this best. I, I liked what he said, and I want to read to you what John Piper said about this. He says, this may sound um, this may sound to some like contradiction to have an authoritative congregation submitting to leaders that it puts in place but it isn't a contradiction because there's a great difference between leadership that inspires and models and mobilizes and teaches and persuades and points the way in ministry and mission and the corporate authority of the congregation that puts doctrine and moral boundaries around the leadership 
and holds it accountable to serve the good of the church. Congregational authority and strong leadership under the authority are not incompatible. They are biblical and vital. I love that statement. I love how he puts it there. Listen, you are important, church. You are important. You are important to hold me accountable. You are important to hold Pastor John accountable. We're not above you. We're equal with you. You have chosen to put us in this position. And those men who you will vote on that we call deacons right now, you've chosen to put them in that position and you've then decided that you're going to submit to them. And that we need to be working together for the sense of holding each other accountable. We're not the Lord over you, the Bible says. We are to serve you. We are to be your servants. That's what he, he, he says. Listen, as the leaders, as the elders of this church, as the pastors of this church, we are to lead you in a spirit of servants, as servants would. I love what, what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica when he said, I ministered to you like a mother who was feeding her children on her own breast. That's how he said, I ministered around you. There's that tenderness of a mother and a baby in that intimate time when that baby feeds off of its mother's breast. There's that intimacy that goes on. And Paul says, that's the way a pastor is to minister to his people. And that same intimacy is how it's supposed to be. And there's to be an intimate relationship between you and our deacons and our, and our leaders of this ministry. There's to be that intimacy. There's to be that unity that goes on between us. And so there's this striving, even though you've placed us in that position of leadership and are willing to submit to us, at the same time, we need to be willing to submit to you. That's how God wanted it to be. He really did. He didn't want me to lord or Pastor John to lord over you or to our deacons to lord over you. Not that at all. And so this thing of the called leaders is important for us to understand how we are to work together as a congregation. So we need strong leadership that is willing to serve you. The next one is this. The leadership of elders. And we'll be spending a lot of time next Sunday developing this one here and talking about elders. These leaders in the congregation of the early church were elders. As you look through Scripture, you're going to find in the early church there were elders. It was the universal form of leadership in the early church, and there was always more than one elder. And again, I'm, I'm going to read some Scripture to you this morning, and I'll give you a lot more Scripture on the, this next week. In Jerusalem, Acts 15.22, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men and to send them to Antioch. In, in Ephesus, in the church at Ephesus, Acts 20, verse 17, And from um, Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. All the towns of Crete, in Titus 1.5, they had elders. That is why Paul left you in Crete, that you might amend, amend that, was, that which was defected and appoint elders in every town as directed. So 
So Paul's writing to Titus and say, listen, that's why I left you there, and so that so you could what? So that you could go from church to church all over that island, and you could make sure that there was correct leadership, leadership, elders in every church. All the churches that James wrote to when he said, to the twelve tribes of, of the, those that are dispersed, he said, is any sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, the name of the Lord, assuming that there are elders, that was assuming there were elders in every church. And all the churches in Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia uh, that Peter wrote to. In 1 Peter 5.1, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of the suffering of Christ, as well as partakers in the glory that is to be revealed. Finally, in the churches that Paul founded on the first missionary journey, um, in Acts 14.23, he says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. The universal extent of elders in the early church becomes more obvious when you realize that the term elder is the same designation for bishop or for overseer or for pastor in the Bible. Those words are all interchangeable. You find those words 173 times in the New Testament and they are all interchangeable. They're all talking about one position. They're talking about the position of an elder. And so as you go through the New Testament, it's hard to escape the conclusion that God's will for the local church is that it has a group of elders as its primary leaders. Listen to me. It wasn't until about 150 years ago where we became what we are today in church today, and where we see today, where we have taken a man called a pastor and elevated him to the position where he's like the head guy. That's really only been within the last 150 to 175 years ago. If you go back over 200 or 300 years ago and most and do a study of church history, and even Baptist churches, you will find that before 150 years ago, almost all of them had boards of elders. Plurality of leadership, plurality of elders, who, in a sense, God called out of that church to lead and to feed that church. You can't escape it. Even the Southern Baptist Convention, even the biggest convention of Baptists in the United States, the Southern Baptist Convention, when you go back and you study the foundation of the Southern Baptist Convention, you will find that it was founded when it was founded many, many years ago with elders. And somewhere through the years, we've moved away to take this senior pastor and to rise him up to a position that I don't think is healthy in the church today. And so we find in God's Word there was a plurality of leadership and that leadership was called elders. And we will look next week at what are the qualifications. God has laid out some specific qualifications for these men who will be elders in each local church. The other position is called deacons, a place of servant. And there are some strict qualifications for deacon. But I want you to realize that there are different qualifications for elders than there are for deacons. We're going to look at what the differences are. 
There's a lot of the same things, but there's several things that are different. And what we've sometimes done in the church is when we have one board, is we take and we put men in positions who really aren't comfortable in being in those positions because we're trying to get them to do something that they're really not meant to do. And we'll talk about that more in the next two weeks. What is the, what is the next one is simply this. It's that feeding and leading. The feeding and leading. The function of the elders is to feed and to lead. The elders are responsible for the teaching and the governing of the congregation. That's what they're, that, they're to give guidance and direction. They're to preserve its biblical faithfulness. They're called what I call, they're wardens of the word. Wardens of the word. We're to make sure the elders of the church are to make sure what's being taught in our Sunday school was biblical. We're to make sure that what's, the elders are to make sure that what's being taught from this pulpit is biblical. I'm telling you, we're adding something new to our agenda at our deacons meetings this week. It's called evaluation. The men just got it from me this week because we're, we're going to be evaluating our ministry. And my elder, the elders that worked with me in Magnolia, New Jersey, you know what? Those guys, every month, we evaluate it. You know the first thing our men are going to evaluate? I'm telling you guys, if you haven't looked at your email from Friday, you're going to evaluate John and my messages over the last three months. I mean, they're going to tell you whether you're good or not? No, they're going to tell us, are we preaching the Word of God? Those men that we call deacons right now, they are responsible, not just you, they are responsible to God to make sure that what comes from this pulpit is always based on the Word of God. Of God. It's not what John, Pastor John said, or it's not what Pastor Dick said. It's thus the Word of God said. And so if there's ever a time when I say something that's contrary to, these, to, to this word, or Pastor John stands up and says something that's contrary to the word, it is the job of right now called our deacons. It is their job to get in our face and tell us. And if they don't do it, then you know what, church? You need to hold them accountable. If you ever hear something that's not right from this pulpit, then you need to go to a deacon and say, hey, I think I heard something from the pulpit that's not biblical this week. Or if you see something in my life that is not consistent with this word, then you know what? Then you should come to me. You should come and tell me. And I should do the same to you. Because we're equal. And you know what's the most important thing? Listen, it's not my position. The most important thing is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the most important thing to you is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we loved each other enough, we would hold each other accountable in every area of our life. So, see, we're, we're to be wardens. These elders, they're to be wardens of the word. We're to be trustees of the truth. Titus 1.9, the elders must hold firm, must hold firm to the sure word as taught, so that, we, that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also confute those who contradict it. So what is the job of the elder? When they hear somebody that's contradicting God's word, they need to be strong enough to stand up and say, that is wrong. That's what their job is. That's what the job of the, elder, the elders are. They're governing overseers. First Timothy says, let the elders who rule well or govern or oversee or manage be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. 
So it is clear that there is diversity of function among the elders. Even amongst the elders, there is a diversity of function. We will choose men whose job it is to be elders. They you choose elders in your church, and they are to help make sure that we're standing true to the doctrines of God's Word. And they are to be evaluating the spiritual spiritualness of our ministry and making sure in the spiritualness of our ministry that we are moving forward and moving closer to Christ. And then he said, amongst those elders, there are even men who what? There are men who preach and teach. So in, in a church setup, you would have men who are called out to serve as elders, and then you might have men like Pastor John and I who we are what? Our profession is preaching and teaching. We are elders. We are equal with those other men who serve on the board, who might serve on an elder board. But the reality of it is this. We're all equal. Equality of leadership. A plurality of leadership. So what is it? It's simply this this morning. Here it is. Christ is the head. You are the priest and the ministers. The local congregation has final authority. They are to call out leaders who they are willing to submit to. Those leaders are called elders. Plurality. And their job is to feed and to lead the congregation. Six biblical foundations of church leadership. Christ is the head. You're the priest and the ministers. The local congregation, that's all of us, have the final authority. They are to call out leaders who they're willing to submit to. Those leaders are called elders. There's more than one of them. It's plurality of leadership. And their job is to feed and to lead. Those six foundational principles is how the leadership of the church should be set up. Let's pray, and then we'll take questions. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, as we open the Word of God this morning. Uh, Lord, and we've, we've quoted a lot of Scripture this morning. We've given a lot of Scripture. Lord, that we see that these six biblical foundational principles are so important to Mount Calvary Church. And, and probably the most important is that You are the head. I'm not the head. Pastor John isn't the head. You are the head of this ministry. And Lord, we as a congregation, we as individuals, we need to stay as close as we possibly can and as in touch with the head as we possibly can. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we pray. Amen.